Today's episode is brought to you by GoDaddy. If you don't have a website, your business might as well not exist. If you want to give it a try, head to trygodaddy.com slash profit. Now, let's get profitable. This is the Personal Profitability Podcast with Eric Rosenberg. Hey there, profiteers. Welcome back for episode number 99 of the Personal Profitability Podcast. So excited to have you for this episode. We're just one away from the centennial hundredth episode. Next week, I'm super excited to do that one as a solo show. And I have a special announcement I'm going to share with you in that episode. But today is a regular old episode, just a special number 99, made more special because of our amazing guest, Kristen Wong. Now, Kristen is an awesome writer. She has had her work featured in a wide range of very high-end publications. She definitely knows her stuff when it comes to personal finance, budgeting, investing, that whole big range of topics. And she is also the author of a brand new book, which I'm excited to share with you, just came out. We'll get more into that book in a little bit. Or you can go to YouTube and learn a little bit more about the book. I did a series of short video reviews of some of my favorite personal finance books and included Kristen's book. You can check that out at personalprofitability.com slash get money and find a copy of that book. So we are going to dive in. Kristen is, as I said, I, I really think highly of her. This is a great interview and I'm so excited to welcome her to the show. We will be on in one minute right after this. I registered my first domain ever on March 29th, 2007. More than 10 years ago, I signed up for my GoDaddy account. And in the years since, I have registered dozens of domains with GoDaddy. If you are an individual who wants to succeed in your own personal life or a business who wants to grow, you need a website. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And to get a good website, you need a good domain and even hosting. If you want to get your website going with very few technical skills, head to trygodaddy.com profit to give it a try. That's trygodaddy.com slash profit. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am here with the woman of the hour. I am so excited to welcome Kristen Wong. Are you ready to get profitable? Of course, I am so ready to get profitable. But you get profitable every day, right? I mean, your your whole life is essentially writing about how to help people get profitable with their own personal <laughs> finances, right? I mean, that, that's your your bread and butter. I try. Yeah, I try. I mean, I write about other topics, but I always keep I keep coming back to money because it really is just a fascinating subject for me. I love that, too. So how did you get into money in the beginning and how did that take you on the path of becoming a finance writer? I've always kind of been fascinated with money as a subject. Growing up, I kind of experienced like my family was poor when we grew up. We qualified for food stamps. We qualified for welfare. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment with my aunt and my grandma, and it was in a terrible neighborhood. And then I saw my family go from that to, you know, my mom got a better-paying job, and and we moved out of that neighborhood, and we bought a house. And I should say they bought a house. My parents (laughs) bought a house, not me. Um, But, you know, just through my childhood, I kind of saw how you could go from 
one financial situation to another. And I was very fascinated with how money could influence really significant events in your life. And so I started writing about it. I, in high school, I was reading like finance books, like uh, Total Money Makeover and that sort of thing. This is what and every then, high school kid's dream is. Let's, <laughs> let's go read personal finance books. <laughs> Sorry, guys, can't go to the party. I'm reading Dave Ramsey tonight. But, you know, by the time I became a, you know, I'm a writer by trade. And by the time I started freelance writing, I wanted to write about money. And so I started writing for Get Rich Slowly, for J.D. Roth at Get Rich Slowly. And I was just kind of journaling my own personal relationship with money. And, and you know, I, I would write about about how I was getting out of student loan debt or I was learning to be frugal or I was, you know, figuring out how to budget or figuring out how to invest. And then other sites kind of started to take note of these essays that I was writing and they said, hey, can you write about money for us? And it was like Lifehacker, NBC News. And of course, I was like, yes, of course, <laughs> let me write about money for you. And and before you know it, I was writing about money for a lot of different places. And my friends were starting to ask me questions like, Kristen, you know, I need to get my finances in order. Can you help me? And I, I always told them, like, I wish I just had a book that I could just hand you that 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 is everything that I know about money. And so I, I did that. I wrote a book called Get Money. And um, it's it's literally every, it's everything that I know about money. So that's that's kind of my financial my story with writing about money. That's awesome. And and we'll get to literally the book that you wrote about money at the end. We <laughs> want to make sure we want to talk about that. But, yeah. So how did you get drawn into the world of money? I mean, you said you had your or the world of writing. Sorry, not money. You said you have that family history with money. What led you yeah. to want to be a writer versus, you know, a banker or any other kind of money related profession? Well, I've never wanted to be a banker or, you know, I've always wanted to be a writer. Um, fascinated with money, but I always wanted to just be a writer. Um, and, and, you know, since I was like four years old, I was writing, you know, short stories and that sort of thing. So that was never that was kind of never a question is I was always going to grow up and be a writer. Um, the, the question was just what kind of stuff did I want to write about? And I found myself wanting to write about money. I was actually, when I started writing for Get Rich Slowly, I was actually writing about dating and relationships full-time for MSN Living. I was technically freelance, <laughs> but I was working for them full-time um, as a dating and relationships writer. And and I loved that job. But to be honest, dating and relationships has never really interested me. <laughs> you know, like maybe it should, but it was just, that wasn't the topic that I kind of found myself drawn to. That was the that was the topic that they needed a writer to write about. So on the side, I would, I would, I pitched Get Rich. I would actually read Get Rich Slowly like every day. I'd have my morning coffee and I would I would read, um, you know, Donna Friedman there. And I read her at MSN, too. And I was just I was kind of a money nerd. And then when Get Rich Slowly was hiring, um, they were hiring writers. I decided to apply. And I, like I said, just wrote essays about my own relationship with money and just trying to figure it out. Oh, that is so cool. So, you know, a lot of people want to be a writer. You know, it's a big dream. A lot of people think of like, you know, I think of Hank Moody from Californication. I don't know if you watched mm -hmm. that one where he just kind of does whatever he wants all day. And then every once in a while, he sits at a typewriter and writes a book and then goes back to drinking and doing drugs. <laughs> Obviously, that's not what you do all day. But you know, getting to that place where you can earn a living as a writer is something a lot of people want to do, but can never really grasp. You know, they, they maybe they'll pick up a few things on the side. But what did your path look like and what steps did you take to turn writing into a living rather than just, you know, a hobby or something you wanted to yeah. do? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually when you say 
turning it from a hobby. I think that's a really big turn. That was a huge turning point for me was realizing that writing was not just a hobby for me. It, it was a business. It's how I want to make money. And if you want to make money at something, then it becomes a business, not just a hobby. And a lot of other writers, I kind of get flack sometimes because they, they're like, when you start selling your writing, you're selling out, right? Like you always hear that stereotype. That makes me so mad. <laughs> it makes me so mad because I actually, they think like you're going to lose your art if you make money doing what you love. For me, it was the exact opposite. I actually tried harder as a writer when I was making money for it because you work with editors. You you have to prove your chops. When you're just doing something as a hobby, you don't really care what anyone thinks and therefore you don't really get better at it. You just, you're kind of doing it for yourself, doing it for fun. But when you have to be good at something, obviously you're going to try harder at it. You're going to learn how to be better at it. So that was a huge turning point for me. You know, when I was writing for MSN Living, you know, I made a decent income with them. I, I made $100,000 a year, but I was also working 60 hours a week. So, you know, I don't know that that necessarily counts as a high income if you're kind of, you know, working that many hours at something. But like I said, I was technically free, freelance with them, but I was working more than full time and I was making a decent income. And I did. I, lo I liked what I did. It was very close to, you know, being a, a dream job for a writer. Oh, yeah. I was writing a blog for them and then producing this video series called Sex by the Numbers for them, where it was like woman on the street. And I would go ask people on the street about their their love lives. And and I enjoyed, you know, video editing and producing videos, too. So that was fun for me. And I really liked this job. And then in 2013, I got laid off from it. Oh. Yeah. And I'd like to think that it kind of opened my eyes and everything happens for a reason. And, you know, that's when that was the turning point. And it was, but it was very gradual. Like I was searching for a full-time job at the time because I was like, man, I lost my, my awesome writing job. Like, how am I going to, I'm never going to be able to find a job like this again. And you live in New um, York, right? So it's not like a cheap place to live. Well, I live in Los Angeles, but oh. it's also not a cheap place to live. <laughs> See, so. I, look at me thinking you live in New York and you live an hour down the road. Bottom line, I mean, as you know, it's expensive to live here, right? Oh, yeah. I was trying to find a job where I could afford to keep keep living here in Los Angeles and make make money with writing. And I would find some gigs here and there, but they all had this stipulation where it was like, and they paid okay, but they were like, you can't write for anyone else but us. And that was a problem for me because I was like, I want to freelance on the side. And if I am only going to make a certain amount of money with you, I want to be able to supplement my income in other ways, which a lot of people who live in, you know, expensive cities do. And so I, I did kind of have a turning point gradually where I, I started taking on more and more freelance clients like Lifehacker, Bankrate and all these places. And then I realized I have a little bit more control over my income as a freelancer than I do at working full time. If you lose, you lose your job, your full-time job, you're done. Like you lose your main source of income. But if I had multiple streams of income from these different freelancing jobs, well, if I lost one, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. So I kind of shifted my mindset. I had this, I was approaching things from a more entrepreneurial perspective where I was like, well, maybe I could make this freelancing thing work. And maybe I could make as much money as a freelancer as I did as a full-time writer in this awesome job. And eventually I did, you know, eventually I figured out how to make that work. I make about the same average between maybe 75 and a hundred thousand dollars a year as a freelance writer. And people always, you know, I, if I tell people that they always come back with something like, yeah, but you're doing this. That's why. Yeah. But you, you have a platform. I'm like, 
okay, I don't have a platform. I made, I made myself a platform so that I could make that much money as a freelancer. You know what I mean? So yes, I get that totally. And I'm, you know, I'm in the same boat. I'm in the six figure freelancer club and <laughs> I, I have the same thing. People often come to me and they're like, well, this is why you're different. I'm like, well, we're all yeah. different. We're all unique. And that's why people want to hire us. So you have to find that thing that makes you unique and the thing that makes you stand out from the crowd, whether you want to write about money or anything else. If you want to be a you know a content producer and a thought leader, you have to have your own platform. You have to build it, right? And then, exactly. And they won't just come. It's not like the field of dreams. You have to you have to hustle to get them to come. <laughs> right. It's not going to be it's not going to be handed to you. You have to look for opportunity in everything. You have to create your opportunity. A lot of times what people get wrong about like breaking the starving artist mindset, everybody tells you, you, you know, it's possible to make six figures as a, as a freelance writer, or, you know, a creative, but statistically it's not like statistically creative people don't make a lot of money. So I think you have to think about it as you're doing some, you're beating the status quo. You're doing something, you're beating the odds is what you're trying to do. If you want to make good money as a freelancer, like you just have to think differently. You can't just expect there to be a blueprint and this is what you do. You have to be resourceful and kind of get creative with how you earn your income and how you get clients. Yes, I a hundred percent agree. And when what you said a little while ago or a few minutes ago about treating it like a business, and that is so important. Like thinking of yourself as a business if you're a freelancer rather mm -hmm. than just like an individual trying to make money. If you think about it like that, you're looking at the same thing, you know, big companies use to make sure they're profitable. Which at the end of the day, that's why it's called personal profitability. It's because you have to make more than you spend, just like a business, if you want to have long-term financial success. Absolutely. Yeah. I think if you're asking somebody to pay you for something that is what you love doing, you know, if you're asking for someone to pay you for your art, you better make sure that they know what they're getting out of it. Because I'm not going to give somebody a thousand dollars without knowing what I'm getting out of it. So I see a lot of artists who are afraid to build a platform. Like they don't want to brand themselves. They don't want to you know, be on social media. They don't, they feel because they feel like it's selling out, but it's, I think you're looking at it wrong. If you think about it like that. I mean, if you're asking people to give you money, like you should show them what they're going to get out of it. Right. That's about the value you deliver. It's not about you. It's about the client. That's something I think a totally. lot of people in our generation forget, um, especially in the, in the freelance space is yes, you are the, the reason you know, they're hiring you because it's you. But they're mm -hmm. hiring you because of the value you provide, not because you are a unique and beautiful snowflake. <laughs> yes, not because you're brilliant. Maybe you are. Maybe you are brilliant. But of course, I see so many writers who are like, I'm just an amazing writer and I love my art and I'm dedicated to it. And some and they should hire me because of that. And it's like, no, because that's great for you. But what are they getting out of it? You know, like I just think of it like when you tip a waiter, you don't tip them according to how amazing they are. You tip them according to the service. And, and it's the same way with people paying you like they're they're paying you because they're getting something out of it. Not because, as you said, you're just an amazing person. <laughs> I love that analogy. And I actually had time as a waiter. So I know those uh, those hours where you're hustling hard and you want to get some dollars out of it. And, and when you get a good tip or a bad tip, it can make or break your day. Um, yeah. But when you go to the in the freelance space, you don't have that three dollar an hour or whatever base salary to, to fall back yeah. on if you don't get a good tip. Yeah. So to, to shift gears a little, uh, something I'm curious about. And you've worked with some incredible brands, um, you know, New York Times, Lifehacker, you mentioned New York Magazine. 
How did you build relationships with big media companies like that versus, you know, like a smaller blog? It's easy to reach out to a small blog and you know, send a note to the owner. But, you know, getting into the New York Times, I imagine, is a little bit different of a process. So what's that world like for you? So for me, I'm... I'm lucky enough that those outlets came to me and said, hey, can you write for us? Um, But the reason that they came to me is that often they would cover my stuff. Like I noticed that New York Magazine would cover things that I wrote at Mental Floss. If I would have been proactive, you know, like a smart way to go about it is if somebody covers your stuff, if an outlet covers your stuff, you approach them and say, hey, can I write for you? Um, I was lucky that they approached me, but I think they wouldn't have approached me if A, they didn't cover my stuff and and B, if the content that I was writing was bad. So I think my advice to writers is always write for the job that you want. Um, If you want to write for the New York Times, write like you can write for the New York Times. Make sure if you have a client that you're not thrilled about because it's a corporate client, you're just writing for their blog, you know, it might not be the most exciting job, but again, it's it's the content that you write. It's the value that you bring. And if and if you can write for, you know, a startup site, if you can write for their blog, like you're just this amazing writer, you're going to get attention. People are going to see the, see your writing and then you can leverage that to bigger gigs and maybe, you know, bigger outlets will come to you or maybe you pitch them and you say, hey, you know, I noticed that you linked to an article that I had written. You referenced it. Can you give me a shot at writing for you, you know? So it's all about sort of leveraging your leveraging every gig you get into a bigger one. Oh, I love that. That's great, great advice. Everyone, I hope you wrote that down. Leverage every <laughs> gig you get into a better one. That's great. So now I want to ask you about your book. So obviously a book is a little different than a blog post or a newspaper article. Um, how did the genesis of the idea for I'm going to write a book come about? And what was the process for you like both in you know, finding either a publisher or deciding to self-publish and mm-hmm. actually doing the, the hard part of writing the book? I actually want to touch on something that you kind of reminded me of when you asked that question is, you know, I had never written a book before. This is my first book. And I had always written blog posts and stuff. And when I first pitched this book, it got rejected so many times. I pitched it to um, an agent who is pretty high profile agent. And her feedback was pretty brutal. She was like, I don't know that you can write a book. I think you're great at writing blog posts, but I don't know that you can write a book. And that sort of tore me apart for a while. <laughs> like I've developed pretty, pretty thick skin as a writer, you know, like well, you're used to her. criticism, but no, but I actually, so yeah, that was my initial reaction. I was like, what do you know? Like I'm going to make this happen. And then I was like, wait a second. She has no stake in this game. So her advice is worthy. And I thought about it. And the, the book proposal that I had presented to her was very much written like blog posts writing. So I had to change that book proposal and to, to show that I could write in a book format, you know? So her feedback was actually invaluable. And I think like, you know, it's easy to just kind of toss it out and just say like, and to have thick skin to it. But I had thin skin with her comment and it sunk in and I improved my book proposal and I pitched it to another agent and she was like, this is very good. I want to represent you. But if that agent hadn't given me that brutal feedback, I probably would not have a book deal. So you know, when I, you, I had been through a couple of rejections with with the book proposal, and and I I cleaned it up, and then finally got an agent to want to represent it, and she had her own feedback, and she had her own criticism of like, okay, I will represent you, but you need to fix this about the proposal, and you need to fix that, and so I had to be very open to feedback and criticism and 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 changing things. 
and so I did. I took her advice and I changed the proposal and she pitched it to different publishers and a lot of publishers were interested in publishing the book. And then the book went to auction and I went with a publisher that I'm super happy with, Hachette Books. And and then the the you know, the book is it came to be. I had a few months to write it. And luckily I had, I was planning on self-publishing actually, because I was like, oh, agents aren't interested in this. Nobody's interested in this, but I want to get this book out there. So I'll just self-publish it. And so at that time I had already had a, the bulk of it written, but they wanted a pretty quick turnaround. So I was lucky that I had already written a, uh, the bulk of it. You know, I had to tweak some things and I wanted to make it interactive. So I had to add these interactive elements to it. And then from there it, it, it got published. Yeah, it was an interesting experience because I, I you know, I think a lot of people when they get they have a great idea for a book and they get or anything and they get rejected, they're immediately like they either, you know, want to just ignore the criticism and the feedback that they got from their rejection and prove the person wrong or they want to just give up completely. And I think you make it happen by taking that feedback and criticism into consideration. You kind of have to separate yourself from the from your art, so to speak, and take the feedback and use it to your advantage. Awesome. I love that. I love how you got into the journey of how the book came to be, not just like the little details. That is so cool. And I'm actually working on book number two, but I'm calling it my first real book. So my first was like a short, like 50 page ebook. So I I love your, that's like inspiring to hear your story. And uh, I imagine many listeners are inspired by that as well. Oh, I hope so. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. I really enjoyed this. If others want to learn more about you, if they want to find you online, where should they go? You can go to thegetmoneybook.com or you can go to my blog, which is thewildwong.com. My last name, Wong. Either one of those places you'll find me. Awesome. And as always, listeners, we will have links to those in the show notes. Thank you so much, Kristen, and have an awesome rest of your week. You too. Thank you, Eric. We'll have to get together for that coffee soon. Totally. High five. (laughs) High five. (laughs) Well, there is another one in the can, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. As always, you can find the show notes at personalprofitability.com. Today's show notes are personalprofitability.com slash episode 98. Again, we have number 100 coming up really soon. I'm super excited. And also, if you have not already joined, be sure to check out my free personal profitability bootcamp. It is a free week-long series. You sign up, you get an email once a day for a week with a link to a video around 10 to 15 minutes long, helping you get started on your path to personal profitability. And I hope to see you there. Thanks, everyone, for sticking around until the end. And until next time, stay profitable. Oh, 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 oh,